0: Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio, the show that brings you the world's most intrepid people. I am your host, Todd Schnick. I have been paying attention to today's guest for quite some time now, have read his book, have followed his blog, have listened to his podcast. I'm really excited to finally get a chance to chat with him. He's got a new book out, which we're here to talk about. So let's get into it. So who are you and what do you do?
1: Hey, Todd. My name is Mitch Joel. I'm the president of Twist Image, which is a digital marketing agency. And I've got a blog and podcast and book called Six Pixels of Separation. And I've also got a new book out called Control-Alt-Delete.
0: Well, I've always wanted to do that introduction to you since that's what you do with all of your guests. Thanks again, Mitch, for being here and taking some time to join me. Uh, gosh, before we get into a conversation around Control-Alt-Delete, take a, do take a few more seconds and tell us a little bit more about you and your background
1: I've done a whole lot and in fact there's a chapter in the new book all about it called squiggly I've had a very squiggly career I started off in music journalism uh, then quickly shifted over to publishing magazines um, got involved in the internet in early early 90s uh, maybe even late 80s so sort of always bridged the two traditional and, and new media uh, after that, helped launch one of the first search engines on the Internet long before that little company called Google existed. Then I went on to work in mobile content long before people even knew that they could have data on a, on a mobile phone. What did I do after that? I did a small stint in a PR agency, launched a record label, and then wound up here at Twist Image, my own digital marketing agency. and. Um, I'm enjoying the ride.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? I want to talk more about squiggly careers later in the show because I think people have to shift their thinking because I think ultimately we're all going to be in squiggly careers. of. But the new book, Control-Alt-Delete, Reboot Your Business, Reboot Your Life, Your Future Depends on It. Mitch, is this book the answer... To the position that many organizations take when they say, particularly in, in the markets that I target, which are manufacturing and industrial distribution, and they say, oh, this quote, social media thing doesn't really apply to me or my organization. Is this book kind of a, a pushback on that claim?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a sort of generalized claim. I, I tend to see that as a position people take when they feel that disruption is uh,
0: immune in their
1: industry, which... uh you know, in my 20 plus years now of being in business, I haven't seen, uh, you know, there's a couple of factors at play here. One is that we have a dramatic digitization on the front end and back end of businesses has fundamentally changed everything we know. We now have an interconnected society, especially when it comes to, to business and, and, and selling things. So, so there's one component of it there. But the other component is, and it sort of ties into the idea of squiggling, it ties into the idea of who we are as people, is that you know we used to live in a world where, and it wasn't that long ago, where it wasn't uncommon for an individual to have four or five different jobs throughout their career. Now we live in a world where it's not uncommon and it's much more common to have four or five careers within a lifetime. And I, I just sort of look at the people who go, well, that's not for me. That's not my world. And I often wonder. And, and the, way, the reason I wonder is because if you turn to them and said, hey, it's vacation time. Uh, let's go somewhere. They don't exactly go calling a travel agent. Um, and if you said to them, "Hey, you know, let's uh, let's take our check from work this week and cash it and go get some beer," um, you don't really do that. It's direct deposited in your banks. It's zeros and ones. You have no physical money, actually. <laughs> people it freaks them out when they hear that, but it's true. And so, while while it may not have hit ground zero in terms of the practical transactions that they have at work, the digitization of industry has fundamentally changed everything we we do and interact with.
0: Well, Mitch, I used to think that people could make the claim and say, ah, you know, this digital thing isn't for me. And I, I used to believe maybe even heck a few years ago that, all right, Hey, you, there, there's, there's room in that space. Uh, but I don't think that anymore. I, and I think that's a obvious, a critical theme of the book is that, that the whole world's wrapped up in this. Now uh, you and I spend a lot of time in this bubble. I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to people on Google plus and Facebook and LinkedIn and this and that. And, and those people that I'm talking to there are connected. There already. Ready. I mean, they're, they're, they may not be doing it right and however you define that, but they're there. But there's still a lot of people that aren't in this space. Are, are they, as you say, going to be unemployable in a few years?
1: Well, I, I don't think there's a correlation to being unemployable in the next five years and being active on Facebook or LinkedIn. I don't, I don't think that that's the case. What I do think is that. We live in a world now, you know. I have a digital marketing agency. We started this agency in 2000, I joined it in 2002. And we've grown quite exponentially over the past several years, and it's been a very great business. But I'm currently hiring for for positions and jobs that didn't even exist a couple years ago. And to make it more dramatic, I'm actually hiring those jobs in areas that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. So I don't look at it and say, well, you know, if you're not on Facebook in the next five years, you're going to be unemployable. I look at it from a different prism, and the prism I look at it from is – you now have an ability to share who you are in text, images, audio, and video instantly and for free to the world. This creates a three-dimensional resume. This creates a living resume. This creates a portfolio of your passions, your work, and your desire. And when I look at sort of being employable, making yourself indispensable in an organization, providing true value to the industry you serve, to the company you serve, to your peers, to, your, to, the, to, to the community as a greater whole, I just don't know why I would want to waste that opportunity or not embrace that opportunity or not take that as an opportunity to do something. And so the industries that might be slower to adopt or feel like their industry isn't picking up on this, I sort of want to shake them a little bit because every industry is going through this and that means that you have an opportunity to stand out. To be different to be the ones people point to to be the true leaders in that industry because it's a crown that no one has claimed
0: well that's the point i when a, when a prospect of mine or heck even a new client makes the well no one in my space my my target customer isn't on facebook is what i hear all the time i'm sure you do as well i say well then be the leader there why is it so hard for people to take that that that, that jump
1: Well, what I do is I sort of take a bigger step back and I look at it and go, okay, fine, let's say nobody you know is on Facebook, that's fine. Uh, Show me your advertising model, show me your marketing mix, show me your communications planning. And then what I do is try and shore that up against how visible they are just in the digital channels. And the reason I do that is, you know, in a very simplistic form, Google AdWords. I mean, if you're in a world where you people cold calling, putting out brochures, doing trade shows and all that, and every single day or day there might be a couple hundred or a couple thousand people who are proactively looking for either your company, your competitors, or the industry you serve, and you're not present there, it just seems like basic insanity to me. I mean, this is a place where people are proactively raising their hands with a scent of interest in what you sell. And what you're saying is, you know, I'm better off doing the trade show or doing a brochure or doing a local ad, hoping that somebody walks by and notices that versus proactively going at the people who are much higher or or lower down into the, the sales funnel, as it were. And so I, I like that the sort of performance-based analytics of digital as a better barometer of success than simply saying, you know, have a profile and be active there. I think what digital really provides is the ability to be highly measurable and highly specific and targeted. It's the last mile for marketers, right? We want a data, we want a location, we want a context, and that's what digital provides.
0: You've talked about that a lot of organizations are in this what you call business purgatory. Uh, you've touched on that a bit throughout the conversation so far, but really go into that that and and help an organization understand that they are in fact probably in business purgatory.
1: Well, you know, you have to take a step back from that too and go like, you know, purgatory. It sounds so, 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 so crazy. The reason I call it purgatory is because the original sentiment that I get. and Listen, I travel all over the world. We work with multinational and, and big brands, and I do sixty to seven speaking events over the year with with major, major people in the audience from B two B to B two C, low interest, low interest sort of sales products or products that take have a long sales cycle. And I can tell you unequivocally when I speak to people who either command or work directly with the marketing communication business development funnels they all tell you that they feel like they're in hell like you know it, there's been this dramatic change in the world they're not sure what's working uh, they're, they're not sure if their old stuff works they're, they're uncomfortable with the new stuff it's that sort of uncertainty and I, I sort of took that framework of hell and really you know dove into it and what I realized really quickly is that hell was probably the place I was 10 12 years ago where I would sit next to these executives and the real sentiment they had is you know tell me why I need a website. <laughs> remember, right, right. you remember that time now the reason they said that is because the web at the time could have been a fad it may not have worked, we had the bubble burst as well what we're at now is if you sit down with these people and talk to them and go do you think mobile is going away, do you think social media is going away do you think localised technologies are going away do you think, on and on and on, the answer is no, I mean, you can't look at that and go it's a fad it's going to go away, we're going to go back to newspapers and TV you know, we know it's not a fad and so that's not hell that's purgatory. Purgatory is knowing unequivocally that the world has foundationally changed, That it's ha- and if it hasn't happened to you directly, it's coming, and saying, you know, uh, I'm going to sort of play this one out or just see how it rolls out. That's the purgatory moment. And what I try to do with Control-Alt-Delete and a lot of the work I do beyond that, the writing I do for Harvard Business Review, the stuff I'm doing over at um, at Huffington Post, is to just simply try to have people understand that you need to be able to move in a functional way and one that's based with your business strategies and your objectives to really move it forward.
0: Before we go on, Mitch, uh, do uh, take a quick sec and talk about the structure and the organization of the book itself.
1: Um, so basically what I did with the book is I tried to break it out into two sections and this was sort of the reason why I knew the book was coming together. The first thing was in sort of all the blogging and writing and speaking client work that I do, I wanted to come to the point where I could identify what I called movements and not trends. Trends are things that are coming, they may or may not be real. Movements, to me, are things that have already happened that are data-based and that businesses are doing little or nothing about. And so it actually shored up into five really interesting movements. And again, you can read the book to check those out. But then I realized that you can't sort of end it there. It's not fair. It's like, here's how the world has changed. And here's some businesses that are doing great. Here are the opportunities. And here's some ideas as to how you can sort of move your way through this. I realize that all of us, me, you, anybody listening to this, has to also have the right posture. You have to know what that means. You have to know how to come to work and the work that you do every single day. And so the second part of the book was called Reboot You. And I call them triggers. And, and triggers could be physical. They could be psychological. They could be a myriad of things that help you better change your perception and, and the physicality that you bring into work every day. And so that became the construct of the book.
0: Well, see, I think that's the big difference with this book. And let's be honest, Mitch, there's a a bunch of books out there about how to reboot your business, but I'm not sure that there's that many yet anyway that that talk about both. Yeah, you can change your business model, but if you fundamentally don't change yourself, you don't have that belief. You don't have that in your gut that 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 change was was really necessary. I mean, so you can't. Reboot your business without rebooting yourself, in my opinion. I mean, I'm assuming you agree.
1: Yeah, totally. I just think that I didn't want to be in a position where people go, "Wow, that's really true." And these five movements, wow, like, what are we going to do? And what at that point, what I realized is people don't necessarily know what to do with themselves first. You know, it's like you read a blog post and it really inspires you and you just want to sort of tell someone, like, do this. But like, you have to know how to approach it. You have to change the mindset yourself. You have to believe it. One of the things I talk about in the second part um, of the book called "Reboot You" is this idea of the digital-first posture. It sort of leans into what we were talking about earlier. It's this idea that you can't just say to someone, um, you know, oh, this doesn't happen in my industry. And then the second you finish that conversation, they go onto their smartphone and they're looking at books on their Amazon Kindle, or they are, you know, calling their wives and, and booking a flight on their phone, or they're checking out their bank account or paying up. It. It's like all of those things that just said, like, oh, my pe- my my peers don't do this. You're suddenly doing four seconds after you have that conversation. And so this idea of the digital-first posture that most of us sort of move to things intuitively now at the digital level is true. I mean, if I told you about a great book, you might write it down. You might send yourself an email. You might run over to the local bookstore. More often than not, you immediately are online, whether it's in the palm of your hands or, or when you sort of flip open your laptop or your iPad or whatever it might be. And, and so we have to sort of embrace this idea that whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, someone tells you there's a great doctor, there's a great uh, contractor, whatever it might be, you do go online for some degree of social proofing, and that is a massive shift in how we typically buy things.
0: Yeah, I think people aren't aren't aware of how much it's already ingrained into their into their daily routine. I my, I have a similar story that I was pitching a a CEO of a distributor, and you know I got the in in essence I got the oh this social media thing doesn't apply to my space comma, but I got to show you this really cool video I found on YouTube. <laughs> you know, so it's the same same kind of idea. You know, I think one of the most important concepts that you talk about in the book. Uh, there's a line early in it that says, uh, uh, "For a brand to truly shape its own destiny, it must lead the relationship with the customer." and frankly mitch i think most people suck at this <laughs> the, the people all day long will will post pictures on tumblr and on instagram and on facebook and they'll promote their latest post on on twitter and they'll they're they're pushing they're pushing they're pushing they're not engaging i'm i know like you i'm i'm sick and tired of this notion you have to engage on the social web and all that, but talk about this idea of what it really means and the opportunity that most people are blowing with using this digitization of the of the web to lead the relationship with the customer.
1: A lot of people talk about, like, what's the conversation? And, and listen, one of my closest friends, Joe Jaffe, wrote a book called Join the Conversation that came out many years ago and that was very pressing in terms of understanding the dynamics that are at play here. But I think what people don't get is that in order to have a conversation, you need somewhat of a relationship. And we live in a world where it's not even about having the direct relationship over your competitors. What's happened now in the food chain is that suddenly you're in a war with your actual business partners for the direct relationship. And the example I give in the book is, you know, I buy a pair of headphones by Beats by Dre and I buy them at Target. And both brands are telling me to like them on Facebook. So just think about that, right? You bought a $120 pair of headphones. And all of those people, you know, Beats, Target, and you're on Facebook. That's three. Are, are you, you're engaged in? Like that's a lot of marketing messaging for a you know $120 product. It's a lot. But what's interesting is is that it's not Beats against Skullcandy or Beats against Sennheiser or Beats against Bose. What's actually happening is it's all of that plus. Target, who's your business partner, and Facebook, which is in theory also one of your partners because they're offering the channel to their community. And in that scheme, you have to figure out who owns that direct relationship. Is it Target, is it Beats, or is it Facebook? And I try and make the argument in the book that it's actually all three and that it's really incumbent on either Beats or Target or Facebook to really earn the direct relationship with the consumer. Once you can do that, and you do that through creating value, to creating utility, by being relevant to them, by being there when you need them and not when you don't, what what happens ultimately is you really do have the direct relationship. And if you look at platforms like Kickstarter and others, what we're seeing currently is that if you don't have the direct relationship with that customer, all is lost.
0: How do you begin to get Someone to, to buy into that. You talk about the key here is that people have to adapt or they're going to be unemployable, uh, but most people don't do it. and It's because it's too hard or it's, the space is too noisy or it's too uncertain. It, it comes back to this notion, and I'm sure you've heard this too, oh, what's the ROI of this thing? And and, and the, the example that you just shared of the headphones and all these different partners and, and you know all this overplay here, uh, it freaks people out when they hear that. H- how do you how do you break that down, dude, so that guy running a business can say, "All right, there's value in me partnering with Facebook," as you put it. How do you simplify that so that someone can say, "Hey, I just need to, I just need to, I just need to participate. I just need to be present. I need to, I need to engage. I need to join conversations." However you want to phrase it, but this notion of just treating the human that's actually behind that avatar as a human being and and treating them that way and talking to them that way frankly once you get that mindset shift doesn't doesn't social almost become just simple if you just if you make that fundamental shift yeah you can read a a chapter in a book and say oh that's interesting and i get it but you don't believe it versus when you when you fundamentally understand that you can lead relationships and, and you can engage and, and you can build and you can expedite relationships through the digital channels, I think it changes everything, yeah? It does.
1: And it's hard for me not to hear that and think, if I didn't understand this stuff, that would freak me out less. <laughs> yeah. so, so what I try and do is, again, I'm all about the step back. And the step back is, what are the business objectives here? Because the answer to the question isn't ubiquitous. It's not, well, this is what you do, and then everybody does it, and it works well. You go, What are the business objectives? And, and this, is, you know, this is something I actually talked about in my first book back in 2009, which I wrote in 2008. And it was this idea of asking why not what. A lot of people go like, you know, so what should I do on Facebook? And what should I do on LinkedIn? And what should I do on YouTube? And it's the wrong question. The question is, why should I be on YouTube? Why should I be on LinkedIn? Why should I be on Facebook? Those questions that start with why aren't tactical. What is a tactic? Why is the strategy? And if you can shore all of that back up into what the business objectives are and how much you're you're, you're paying for cost per acquisition and what the lifetime value of your customer is, you can then start identifying channels that will help you optimize that number to bring it down, to make it more effective, to have it convert better. And it may sound like an ambiguous answer to your question, but it's not. And And the reason it's not is because I know a lot of my peers will tell you, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I've just found over the years that it's simply not true, that every business has its own strategy. Every business has its own vision. And the questions you have to ask yourself is this, are the things that we're talking about right now, you and I, Todd, are any of those channels things that can help me achieve those goals more effectively, faster, with better loyalty? Better con- th- those types of questions. When you look at that, what you start developing is an actual strategy. It's funny, when we do the strategy work here at Twist Image, a lot of the feedback we'll get from people is, whoa, like uh, this sounds like an overall brand strategy, or this sounds like a business strategy. And it, essentially, it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it allows you to reimagine business In this world that has so fundamentally changed. I mean, the thing with with this book is it wasn't about what's coming. Six Pixels was about me looking at how I grew our agency in a couple of years by leveraging very powerful and new ways to market and communicate and connect with people. This new book really is about what now? So we all know this. We all know this stuff is here. We keep hearing about it ad nauseum, but what now? And so, you know, the sort of joke that I told my publisher was this isn't a book about, you know, you know, change management. It's a book about change business. Because the fact of the matter is is that business has changed. We are living now in this post-PC world. We're living now in the post-web browser. We we are in that world. The data doesn't lie. And it's more a question of how we position that in terms of what our business goals are to achieve that goal.
0: Talk about the squiggly career, Mitch, and how we, frankly, I think we should all embrace the squiggly.
1: Again, it goes back to what I said earlier, this idea that, you know, we're going to switch careers six or seven times in our lifetime, not just jobs. Careers are interesting things that, you know, it it seems so logical to plot Like, you know, I'm gonna do this after high school, and I'm gonna study this in university, and I'm gonna get this job over here, and I'm gonna have a beautiful white picket fence and the gold watch after 20 years. You know, you sort of think about that, and it seems so archaic. And the reason it seems so archaic is because it is. Uh, You know, I don't think many people go into work now and say, like, what's the retirement plan here? I think people are going into work saying, will this project provide me with motivation? And motivation could be money or reward or whatever it might be. And what is going to happen after that? And this very, very different world that we've created is a reality. And so I just think that we need to be able to look at our careers as a a really three-dimensional expression of what we're trying to accomplish in our lives. And I realize it's sort of like the old 1% rule, like it's very hard to say this and not realize that these are first world problems. You know, we have safe drinking water and electricity, you know, we've resolved a lot of the issues that we don't have in third worlds, although we have our own struggles here in North America for sure. But if you can sort of realize that the most fascinating people we know have very interesting or squiggly careers when you look back on them, hopefully you can acknowledge that that could be your career too. And what I try and plot out in the book is just a way to think differently about how you're structuring the work that you do so that it adds more value to you. And then value could be, again, it could be monetary, but it could be emotional as well.
0: Yeah, Mitch, we're running low on time. I, I, I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, you wrote uh, probably about a week or so ago uh, – an article that talked about the complexity of actually marketing books these days. And I'd love to shift to that real quick. Uh, Talk about the challenges. You got this new book out, a lot of content out there, a lot of noise. Talk about the challenges of uh, putting together a book and, and getting it out to the world.
1: Yeah, it's it's very true. You know, we live in very, very different times, and it's not like you have this sort of one moment in time and pow, everything happens. It's uh, there's, Everybody is a media channel onto themselves. They're tweeting, they're Facebooking, they're blogging, they're posting stuff to YouTube, and to try and get people at a focused moment in time to say, here's a book, check it out, um, isn't as easy as it once was. And I think the other challenge with that is a lot of people don't know how to support an author. They don't necessarily understand uh, what where the value is. And people say like, oh, I'll tweet it for you. And, and while that's very kind and, and tweets are great, I jokingly tell people that tweets are not enough. You know, it's like it's a, it's a moment in time where maybe only four or five people are seeing it and – I believe the best way to help authors out is to truly figure out ways and places for them to better connect the ideas. So you might know a magazine that would be a great fit for for Control-Alt-Delete. I'd prefer that referral than, than a tweet, to be honest, because I think it's those relationships that matter. That all being said, it's amazing. You know, you sort of wake up in the morning and you see a whole bunch of people that you know, love, and respect who are sharing your information and talking about it. Just We have, we live in a world with a lot of media places. And so what you're trying to do is create as many impressions as possible and do that in a way where there's value. And so it's just, uh, it's challenging, it's fun, it's scary, it's all those great things.
0: What about inviting authors to be guests on, on podcasts?
1: I'm always open for that, Todd, as you might be able to hear from this conversation. <laughs>
0: I've appreciated your podcast. The stuff I learned there has been an inspiration to me, and I hope that I do the same thing for my audience. Uh, Mitch, we're, we're out of time. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you, learn about your work, learn about Twist Image, and and get their hands on Control-Alt-Delete?
1: Well, you can find the book uh, anywhere. All, all the major digital and physical retailers will have it. You can find me directly at www.twistimage.com forward slash blog, or just Google Mitch joel
0: mitch joel the best-selling author speaker and president of twist image and the author of the new book control alt delete reboot your business reboot your life your future depends on it mitch it was great to spend some time with you thanks for joining me
1: thanks todd i appreciate what you're doing
0: all right well that wraps this episode on behalf of my guest mitch joel i'm todd schnick we'll see you next time on intrepid radio